Bruxism is a really funny thing because it's like really underdiagnosed by dentists, but it's also at the same time very overdiagnosed. Now let me explain what I mean by that. It's underdiagnosed because every time I see a patient, right, and I say to them, hey, did you know that you've got the signs of teeth grinding and clenching? Look at this wear, look at this crack or whatever. And they all turn around and say to me, wow, no dentist has ever told me that before. So in that regard, we can argue that bruxism is underdiagnosed because dentists are often sharing cases online and suggesting that the etiology of the wear that we see was bruxism. Whereas when I look at it, I see erosion and I see a restricted envelope or an envelope of function issue. And perhaps there's a little bit of bruxism, but I don't think that's the primary reason of the failure. Or even sometimes people say that, oh, uh, this patient keeps chipping away their class four composite or this crown has broken, I think the patient's a bruxist. But really the crown fracture because the patient's a bruxist or perhaps there wasn't enough occlusal reduction, right? So it's both underdiagnosed and it's also overdiagnosed. And it's an area that I love to read about. So I am a bruxist, okay, confirmed bruxist. And there's three levels of diagnosis you can make in bruxism. And we cover that in this episode today called Bruxism and the Airway with Dr. Aditi Desai. She also featured, if you remember, on PDP 139 on sleep disordered breathing and sleep apnea and that kind of stuff. So talking about that and its relevance to bruxism. And before you welcome, I just want to share with you my story and how I got into splints and TMD. It was through bruxism. Like I am a massive bruxist and I rely very heavily on my occlusal appliance. Now get this, my occlusal appliance doesn't stop my bruxism. I still brux. How do I know that? Because I color in my occlusal appliance with a black Sharpie marker time to time again and the next morning I've got a pattern on it. And not only me, but hundreds of patients. Every time I give a patient an appliance, there'll always be a mark on it. And I'm going to show you some photos. If you're watching right now, you'll see some photos on the screen of all the different types of marks that you see. So does that mean every single patient has been a bruxist? Now, it's all about definitions again, because if you go by the definition that bruxism is any sort of movement of the jaw, any oromotor movement, for example, if I just wiggle my jaw side to side without my teeth touching, that's technically bruxism. Did you know that? Whereas other people claim that bruxism is when you have to have a series of physiological events, your heart rate has to elevate, you have to be in a certain stage of sleep, and then teeth come together and you grind left and right. And so that is a type of bruxism. And so my favorite way to classify bruxism is normal bruxist and pathobruxist. So one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to put in the show notes, so protrusive.co.uk show notes for this episode, forward slash 149, I'm going to put this paper by G. Levine, okay? Levine is fantastic in all the literature he posts about bruxism. And I've learned a lot from G. Levine's literature and his studies. So his suggestion of a classification, and let's classify patients as either normal bruxists or pathobruxists. So what that means is that most of us, all of us, do something called rhythmic masticatory muscle activity at nighttime, meaning every night we do a little bit of bruxism, right? Our jaw wiggles side to side, sometimes the teeth are touching, sometimes they're not, and that's completely okay. The difference between a normal bruxist and a pathobruxist is a pathobruxist will be doing it at much higher forces, much more muscle recruitment, and they are the ones that are more destructive. 
So we'll be talking more about that with Aditi on the show. The theme of this episode is very much bruxism and the airway. So could the airway be the cause of your patient's bruxism? And why perhaps a bruxis is not best managed with any old occlusal appliance if they have an airway issue? So we'll talk about screening the airway before you give an occlusal appliance. Now, if you're looking for restorative management of bruxis and how to make your dentistry survive in these hostile environments, then this episode doesn't really cover that. For that, I'd love to welcome you to OBAB, Occlusion, Basics and Beyond. We cover this theme. We show you how we did some full mouth rehabs on some bruxis. But as you know, it's called Occlusion, Basics and Beyond. 80% of this course is very much the basics of occlusion. And it's to make you no longer confused about this big grand topic of occlusion. We break it down. We make it tangible. So if you're ready to learn occlusion online, head to occlusion.online. And then we talk about, yes, we talk about occlusal appliances. We talk about the restorative management of bruxis, how to identify that and how to build that into your restorations so that your restorations become unchippable. Hello, Patricia Rati. I'm Jazz Galanti and welcome back to the Patricia Dental Podcast. Slightly longish intro there. And I'm, if you're watching the video, I'm in a different place yet again. I'm in a funny phase of my life at the moment. If you're looking carefully, you can see on my hoodie over here, I've got milk, breast milk vomit on my hoodie, right? So <laughs> this is the kind of stage I'm in. I'm uh, The most commonly said phrase in my household right now is, did he burp? Has he burped yet? So as you know, we welcomed a baby boy recently. And yeah, things are a bit funny at the moment. I'm not in my usual home. I'm going between Reading and West London. And so things are a little bit crazy and you can see the bags under my eyes, but hey-ho, you know, this is the beauty, the magic of parenting. But I will always make time for Protrusive Dental Podcasts, don't you worry. And Team Protrusive are always hard at work to make content ready for you week by week. And of course, the Protrusive Dental Pearl. The Protrusive Dental Pearl is my bruxism screening sheet. So this is a simple little PDF I made. It's actually for my Splint course online delegates, so I'm happy to share it with you. Is that what are the things that you can look for in terms of your extra examination and your intra examination and the history to give you a clue that this patient might be a bruxist as well as some communication strategies that we're going to discuss in the main episode today. The way you can download that if you head to protrusive.app, make a free account and then in the episode 149 freemium version you'll see it's there in the PDF. If you're a Protrusive premium member it'll be there in the Protrusive vault and in the premium version of the episode we can get the full CE or CPD certificate by answering a few questions. So I'll remind you again at the end of the episode. So download the Protrusion of Pearl, which is my Bruxism screening sheet. I wrote it myself, inspired by all the literature I've read about Bruxism and the diagnosis of Bruxism. And I'll catch you in the outro. Let's join the main interview. Dr. Aditi Desai, welcome back to the Protrusion Dental Podcast. Great to have you after that brilliant episode on airway, everything airway, and now a close cousin of airway it is Bruxim. So for those who haven't listened to that episode yet, and they must go back and listen to it, please, Dr. Desai, introduce yourself. You know, what are you doing at the moment? What is your mission statement? And how did you fall into place with airway and then Bruxim as well? Thank you very much for the invitation, Jazz. It's a real pleasure to be here. So my name is Aditi Desai. I'm president of British Society and the Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine. I'm president of the odontology section of the Royal Society of Medicine, and I've just been appointed a fellow of the College of General Dentistry. So that is what I am. I've been practicing dental sleep medicine for about 15 years now, but predominantly my, my practice is now limited to sleep medicine in the last maybe five to seven years. So my focus is all to do with airway, because you know over the years having provided, being a dinosaur really, having provided Michigans and Tanners and you know all kinds of other appliances, I found myself wondering how you know how effective my treatment was, and just delving into it a little bit more and then looking at the other side of the pond with the Americans, I realized actually we may be doing some disservice to our patients 
by not looking at the airway, not only from a sort of proxim point of view or from any other point of view, but just generally, because my mission is to make sure that we all carry on practicing dentistry in whatever field that inspires and excites us, really, you know, whether it's implants, you know, orthodontics, whatever. But whatever you do, do it well, keeping in mind that whatever you may be doing without looking at the airway, you might be doing a disservice, not only to the patient, but to yourself. Because you have patients that come back saying, oh, this feeling is broken again, this implant has failed again, or the crown is fractured again. And, you know, that is what I am trying. My mission is really to get dentists to, you know, just open their mind. There has to be that paradigm shift where they have to open their mind and say, when I ask a patient to open their mouth, what is the first thing I see? Are we looking at just the teeth? Are we looking at the palate? Are we looking at the tongue? Or are we looking at the gums? But why are we not looking at the airway? Because that mm -hmm. is the most important part of everything that we do. And if I can achieve that only, I will think myself a very successful person. I'm loving the conviction in your voice. I love your messages. I love your enthusiasm for it. And you're, you're, you're a great figurehead to educate the, the masses in, in, in terms of the public and, and the dentist. Because let, let's be honest, we don't get told much about this at dental school. It's something that we sort of stumble upon accidentally by just falling to a, the, the correct lecture at the right time. And as we alluded to in the previous episode, some other countries are, are really accelerated in, in being clued up about the airway. But I feel as though we have a bit of work to do to catch up. And, and those around the world listening to this podcast, wherever you are, I think there's something really valuable to gain and your know, holistic care of the patient uh, at the end of the chair in terms of looking at the airway. Now, some people may not have understood, like listening to, to the first few things you said, you mentioned about a failed implant, you mentioned about a crown breaking. So a dentist might be thinking, what has that got anything to do with the airway? So please explain the, the link and uh, where that comes from. So one of the main things is if you're not looking at the airway, and I'm not saying that every patient who has a failed implant or a failed, you know, restoration is, has a problem with the sleep. But I think that if you, if you look at a, a person who keeps coming back with the same problem, unless you, you know, deep, deep dive to look and see, well, why is this happening? My restorations are well, you know, well done. The materials I use are superior quality. Um, I've checked the occlusion, it's fine. So what is it that they're doing that I'm not aware of? You know, it could be something they're doing in the day. It could be something they're doing at night. Are they, are they clenching? Are they biting their nails? You know, are they holding a pen? Are they crunching on bone every day? And there, there are lots of communities in the world that actually thrive on, on, on biting on bone and chewing bone. African communities uh, that, that I see, I used to work at Guy's Hostel, so... Lots of my colleagues, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But then whatever we provide to the patient has to withstand all those practices. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are going to see a patient again and again for the same problem, then you look and say, well, maybe they are grinding, maybe they're clenching, maybe they're bruxing. But what does that mean? What does bruxing mean? I mean, you know, the word la bruxomanie was introduced in 1907 by a lady called Marie Pickwitz. Excuse my pronunciation of it. But since then, it's been sort of changed into bruxism. But do you know that the terminology itself is so broad that it now has to be, it has been reclassified several times now. Mm -hmm. So we now sort of divided it into awake bruxism and sleep bruxism. And the etiology is quite different for both of them. And one of the reasons we don't have a sort of exact figures of how many people are bruxing, you know, what is happening when they're bruxing, what type of bruxing is because, you know, 
People don't know the difference. I didn't know the difference until I, mm-hmm. you know, until I actually was teaching on the Oxford Masters sleep course. And I suddenly thought, you know what? I need to do a bit more research on this. And, 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 and I spoke to a very good friend of mine called Maria Clotilde Cara. And if anybody's interested in this, they should listen to her and read her articles because they are fantastic. They explain the whole etiology, the you know, presentation of bruxism. And I think, you know, if we are able to d- distinguish between the two, then we will be able to manage them differently. So awake bruxism is very connected with sort of, you know, familial problems, you know, stress, anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, kids waking you up in the middle of the day. And, you know, stress, I mean, we've got the pandemic we've just reasonably come out of. Now we've got this, you know, cost of living crisis. Everyone is worried and everyone is concerned and everyone's bruxing in the day. So that's fine, you know. And then in, at night, it's a completely different phenomenon. And, you know, this link between a, a person is grinding at night because they are, you know, stressed or they're anxious, that's just not true anymore. They may do somewhat, but that is not the etiology anymore. It's, it's, it's always been, Aditi, like stress has been the easy thing to, to, to blame Bruxham on. And it's been, I mean, awake Bruxham, as I've read the same things you have, that we feel as though as a community at the moment that it is to do with psychosocial stress and, 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 and uh, people clenching during the day out of that. But sleep Bruxham, there may be an element, but there's so many other factors involved, which I'm obviously going to allude to now. The problem with studying these factors, uh, which I'm sure you'll get to as well, is awake Bruxham is based on questionnaires and people are often, not aware and so they're giving uh, they don't know themselves so how can they actually give you a, a true representation and with sleep bruxism the best highest quality will be from a, a sleep study and that's very expensive to run and that's why as a profession we really lack these clinical trials so we are I'm not saying we're making it up but there's a lot of information we data we'd still like to collect as a profession would you agree with that? So, absolutely so I think you know with um, sleep bruxism for example you know or, or bruxing or clenching Okay, so there are three ways in which you can probably identify when a patient comes in and says, I think I'm grinding my teeth, or my partner tells me I'm grinding my teeth. And that is the possible presence of grinding or or clenching. Then the next one is when you look in the mouth, or the dentist has a look in the mouth, the patient has no idea. And you look in and you may see facets, wear facets, you may see anything that's got to do with that, fractions, whatever. And you look at them and you say, well, you know, I think you're grinding your teeth. Do you think you're grinding your teeth? That is the probable mm-hmm. diagnosis. Now, the third, which is the most comprehensive, is by using an instrument, you know, instrumental diagnosis. That is the use of EMG recordings, uh, polysomnography, which is quite an invasive, not an invasive, but a very involved procedure. Mm-hmm. You, know, either mm-hmm. you can have it in a hospital or you can have it at home as well. But we're now trying to look at other ways of make you know making that diagnosis because we have got uh, multi-channel polygraphy for example which may have a sensor that you can put on the chin mm-hmm, on the mm-hmm. chin or on the on the masseters and that will also give us some idea and that is the most comprehensive way of diagnosing Hey guys, this is Jazz interfering here with a lovely testimonial that's been sent by one of the dentists. Her name is Sapna. So Sapna message, she said that, I just wanted to say that I'm doing your OBAB course at the moment. It's mind-blowing. Never thought I'd enjoy occlusion so much. I love the short bursts of videos into bite-sized pieces where each video builds on the previous video's knowledge. Amazing stuff. Well done to you both. So thank you so much, Sapna, for going out of your way to message that kind feedback without even being asked. So I just want to share those kinds with you guys. So if you're stuck on occlusion, 
occlusion, please let us help you. Head to occlusion.online. Let's get back to the main episode. The, the ones in the hospital, when they do it properly, it's, it's very sophisticated because they actually have a camera uh, on you as well. So they're looking at that as well as does it actually coincide with the, the, the muscle activity, which, which is really fascinating. That's why that, that kind of data is, you know, you said it's, it's the best, but it's also the most elusive. It's, it's the most difficult to, to obtain for all these uh, reasons. Uh, but I like that breakdown of a possible, probable, and then the definite is only when you use an instrument. That, that's correct. And, you know, when it's linked to a sleep disorder, for example, and if you had a PSG polysomnography in a hospital, a sleep test in a hospital, then, you know, you wire it with the EMG and then you have, you know, the respiratory sensor, the snoring sensor, you have all, you know, you're all wired up top to bottom. And that will also give us an idea whether your bruxing episodes are linked to you trying to open up that airway. Are they pre or post episodes of um, apnea mm -hmm. and that is also very powerful so yeah, we're trying to establish if there's a link and with with your um, knowledge in, in, in sleep medicine as well uh, from from what i've read uh, most of the bruxim activities happen in, in non-REM sleep and also in the changes of the phases of sleep yes in terms of actually making it tangible for the dentist a dentist, when we have a patient in front of us, you know, the restorative dentist sees the bruxum. All of this stuff is so far from, you know, it's all literature, but how can we actually help our patient? And the, the biggest problem that we have, and, you know, it's all fair and well knowing how to diagnose, but when uh, you say to a patient, do you, do you think you're grinding? And then the patient says no. And then that's usually the end of the conversation. And we just move on and do the BPE. So, so the, the, the problem is the communication as well. So uh, if we feel that there, is, there are probable bruxes because we've seen the wear facets. And please, if you just cover what are the signs we're looking for, and then I'd love you to come on to how do you communicate with patients in a way that's, A, not too confrontational, not too accusatory, because sometimes patients feel like, you know, this, this dentist is accusing me. And I've had, you know, in my earlier years, almost like, no, you are grinding. Like, no, no, I'm not. My husband would tell me if I was. No, no, you definitely are. And that sort of conflict. So please tell us more about that. <laughs> So you, you need to have a very comprehensive clinical consultation. Now, if you don't have that, then you're not going to win, win anything. You know, you have to be able to correlate things together and make sure. So if, a, if you look in the patient's mouth and you say, do you, do you grind your teeth? They said, no, I don't think so. Then that's it. That's where you stop. At that point, you then look in the mouth, look at signs and symptoms of anyone who may have a sleep disorder, breathing disorder, if they have a large tongue, if the tongue is scalloped, for example. You know, one of the most significant telltale signs of sleep bruxism is a scalloped tongue. Because, you know, when they're, you know, they're grinding, it takes the imprint of the lingual and palatal surfaces of the teeth. And, you know, that in itself is enough for you to suspect. We can't say to the patient, you are definitely grinding. You just have to communicate it in a gentle way, saying, you know what, I, I, you may be grinding. Mm -hmm. Let's have a look and let's see whether you may be. And then you look at the airway. You look at, you know, whether they've got abfractions. That is another very significant indicator. And you look at the size of the tongue, the scalloping. Are there any tori? You know, is there any, anything about the patient that tells you that he may not be sleeping as well? So another question you may want to ask the patient is, you know, when you sleep, do you, does, does anybody tell you that you make some odd sounds? Because sounds is another very important symptom. You know, it's literally the gnashing. And the patient may not be aware. And the, and the bed partner doesn't necessarily always tell the wife or the husband that, you know, you are making sounds because they just love a happy life. Mm -hmm. 
If you then say to the husband or the wife, you know, do I make any sounds at night? And the husband say, well, actually, yes, you do, but it doesn't bother me. And that's how, you know, we, we do that deep dive, a gentle mm -hmm. deep dive in order to get as much information as possible. And then from there, I say to them, okay, well, how do you feel when you wake up in the morning? You know, do you feel refreshed? And they say, well, actually, I wake up and I, you know, I'm so tight. I feel so tight here or I get a headache here. And that is, again, another sign. Look at the patient. If they've got a very square, masseteric, you know, profile, then you know that they may be clenching, not necessarily grinding, but clenching. So that is where you end up doing that, you know, gentle dive to then say to them, look, you know, you may be, and this may be the reason why you're feeling tired, unrefreshed, and then explain the etiology, explain the, the problem and tell them what happens when they, when they grind. You know, if, they, if, if you say to the patient, you know, do you know that when you grind, sometimes it may be that you're trying to open up your airway. You, it may be that you're not breathing as well as you could do, but mm -hmm. if you are doing that, you may not be awake, but your brain is getting those microarousals and explain the microarousals to them and tell them what the significance of those are. And then that's when they sit up and they listen. At that mm -hmm. point, when you involve the brain, I mean, this is a great connect between medicine and dentistry, you know, getting them to connect the dots and say, oh, really? So then you explain what happens, the microarousals, the, you know, Maybe there's hypoxia, maybe there isn't any hypoxia, but this, you know, this whole sort of the burden of, you know, um, a patient, the cardiovascular risks, their neurocognitive risks, waking up in the morning feeling unrefreshed, you know, the, the lack of drive to do anything, the apathy that may set in, you know, they, they may not, I mean, you're never going to win every patient over, by the way. Some mm -hmm. people will think, you, oh, you're only doing it because you want to make me a splint because you want to make the money. Trust me, this <laughs> happened to me. It happens to me. I'm yes, telling yes. you. And you know what? It's okay. It's, they're, they're entitled to their, their feelings and their yeah. thoughts. It's fine. But if you then are gentle with them and you explain it to them, then let them go away and they will come back. They may not come back to you necessarily, but they may go and seek a second opinion. And we hope oh. that your colleague that they go to will also have this knowledge where they'll be able to say, well, actually, you know what? I think we need to do this. Um, let's have another look at this. And then if a patient, if a dentist is already aware of airway, then he will also connect the dots. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, if, if a patient has an airway problem and sleep bruxism, you know that the management is different. If, on the other hand, sleep bruxism and uh, awake bruxism are, are just there, but there are no linked comorbidities, there's no underlying disease, they're not on SSRIs, for example, then, you know, it's not considered a disorder at all. Sleep bruxism and awake bruxism is just a being. You don't mm -hmm. treat it. it. It just happens. And if you make it's, them... It's a behavior. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a behavior. And uh, we only classify as pathological if we suffer with the negative consequences of it. Yes. Which for me, when I was reading you know, the works of Lavigne and Manfredini on it, it was really enlightening because it's almost like a dirty word. Bruxum, uh, and it shouldn't be because it's just uh, you know a lot of our patients brux a little bit. You know some of the studies I read is that three minutes a night. You know the whole rhythmic masticatory muscle activity, right? And, and so this is normal RMMA. And but the funny thing, uh, Aditi, when I read is that in, in the studies, a bruxum diagnosis, a definite bruxum diagnosis, is even made if a patient is moving their jaw side to side without the teeth even touching together. That is still bruxum, which which is fascinating. But do you know that RMMA, as it's called in short, is enough to give a patient a very poor night's sleep? They don't have to grind and clench their teeth to be awoken. RMMA is probably the cause of a lot of uh, 
poor sleep quality really a lot and you know Gilles Levine in Montreal he's fantastic he's such a mm-hmm. wonderful man he's so humble and you know he said to me the other day he said look you know we all were talking about the airway the Americans are talking about the airway you know we're talking about the airway you are now beginning to talk about the airway fine but it's when the airway assessment is not taken seriously enough and then you start treating people with your splints you're doing them a disservice because by putting a splint in a patient, okay, I'm just going to go back a little bit, okay? If you have a patient that comes in and you see that they, they may be clenching, grinding, and you say, you know what, I'm just going to do a, make, make you a splint. What is a splint for? I have patients who come in and say, I was given this splint by my dentist to help me control my, my spruxing. And I, do, I never know whether to say your, to, your dentist is not talking sense. But you have to be politically correct, of course. And you have to say to them, okay, well, let's have a look and see whether this splint is doing its job. Now, if it's linked to a poor airway, then I have to tell them that I'm really sorry, but, you know, this may not be helping your situation. If anything, it may be making it slightly worse. And they look at me and say, why? Because I say to them that this splint was made to protect your teeth and your joint from further damage. It's not there to help you stop bruxing because you can't stop bruxing unless it's linked to a, a sleep disorder. If mm-hmm. you have a sleep disorder, airway, airway problem, and then the patient is bruxing, it's thought that about 40% of people do that because they're trying to open up that airway, mm-hmm. and that is called, that's called that, that type of sleep bruxism. So if you want to make them a splint, make them a splint which is protrusive. Yes, mandible but, advancement to some degree. Mm-hmm. So that will solve two birds with one stone. You open up their airway, control their sleep bruxism, and the third one is that you know you're killing the third bird is that you're stopping the damage. And, and I'm going to add a fourth one in there, which is you're you're helping their sleeping partner because it might help their snoring as well. <laughs> well, you know when I am <laughs> when I'm treating my patients, I always say to them, listen. You'll think that whatever I'm going to do for you is going to be expensive. You know, you give them 50, 100,000, doesn't matter. I said, but remember that I'm treating two for the price of one. Because not only am I treating your sleep, but I'm treating your bed partner's sleep. Or your I children. love that so much. Yeah? <laughs> I'm going to use that one. <laughs> and honestly, and then, and, and then I always say, you know, does your wife love me now? Or does your husband love me? <laughs> and, you know, and they say, yeah, he's in love with you. And I think to myself, that's fine. You can keep him, though. And it's <laughs> so I tell you, I find it so wonderful when a patient comes in. You know, it's like when somebody's had a root canal or they've come in with acute pain and you relieve them of the pain and they burst into tears because they're so relieved. You know, that feeling that you have that it, it's just wonderful. That's exactly how I feel when patients say, I can't sleep, I can't, you know, I, I can't function in the day. You treat them and they come back with a, you know, uh, they never come back with chocolates or flowers for me, trust me. <laughs> but you know when they write a really nice review you think to yourself you know you've done your job you've done your job well very good and I just wanted to add to that a term I've heard is as you said the sleep disorder breathing being a driver for the for, for the sleep bruxism and some some educators call it uh, not power function but protective function uh, because they, they feel as though that bruxism or the muscle activity in that patient is having a protective mechanism for the body. The other two protective or the other protective mechanisms I'm aware of is um, a theory that actually someone with a reflux disease, that bruxism actually gets more saliva production, which which may be helping as well. So those are two main sort of benefits uh, claimed in the literature. Yeah. So the sort of nomenclature of sleep bruxism, you know, that it, it's, it's quite different. So for the medical community, 
it used to be a movement, a parasomnia. Odd things in the, you know, you, odd things in the night. So sleepless legs in Rome and uh, so restless legs in Rome. Yeah. You know, um, periodically movement, all of that. Then they sort of changed it to a parafunction. And now it's actually now a sleep movement disorder. Mm-hmm. So it's, sleep bruxism is now a movement disorder. That's how it's been classified. And in the terminology of the sort of glossary of prosthodontic terms, we actually, di- we actually term it a parafunction. But it's not a parafunction. And now, therefore, what they've done, they've brought out a standardized terminology. And I'm actually going to read it because it, it's quite long and I'm going to just read it for you. It's easier for me sure. to do that. If I can find it, I'll read it for you. It, while you find that, I'm just going to just say a, a little summary uh, so far. I think the, the main take home, and I'm, uh, you know, tell me if you agree with this, Aditi, the main take home of our conversation is before you dive in to, uh, like, okay, we covered some communication tips, uh, and I'm just going to add a few more of those uh, in the intro outro as well to get the most time from you. We covered that, which is good. We know about uh, diagnosis. In terms of management, a splint may be involved, but you'll be doing a massive disservice if you don't screen the airway. I think the biggest take home here is airway, 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 because a lot of our patients who have, uh, you know, quote unquote, temporomandibular disorders are actually sleep disorder breathing patients. And bruxism is very finely uh, intertwined with that discipline. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right there. So I'm going to read this. So this is the glossary of terms prosthodontic terms, right? In 20, so it says it's a parafunction grinding of teeth. It's a rhythmic or spasmodic. So it's, you know, tonic or phasic. And depends on how long that episode is, it, that's what determines whether it's tonic or phasic, right? And then in 2013, there was an international sort of, you know, consensus that brought it all together, the medics and the, and the dentists, where they said that the definition of bruxism as a repetitive muscle, mus- masticatory muscle, like RMMA, which is characterized by clenching or grinding of the teeth or bracing or thrusting of the mandible. And this is specified as either sleep bruxism or wake bruxism, depending on its circadian, so whether you do it in the day or the night. Now, the fourth edition of the Guidelines of Assessment for the um, American um, Academy of Orofacial Pain and also the International Classification of Sleep Disorders, ICSD-3, have actually adopted this classification. So it's now becoming more cohesive as a terminology, and we should be doing exactly the same. It's not a parafunction, it's a movement disorder. Now, whether it's a disorder or whether it is just one of those things that, that you do, you know, it's like people bite their nails, they just do it. You know, and, and yes, mm-hmm. it is linked to A-class personalities, of course, but you know, so what? People pick their teeth, people grind their, you know, their teeth and they bite their nails. It's just a habit. But when it's linked to a, another disorder, that's when you have to take it a bit more seriously. In, in terms of uh, you know, this episode, the main three things I wanted to cover in this episode were diagnosis. And we talked about that in terms of in the research and also in, in practice. We talked a little bit about communication to the patient and make sure we're not uh, accusatory. And I've got a few more things to, to add in that regard. But last thing, you know, management, the, the key lesson is make sure you don't neglect the airway. Don't go straight to your go-to splint in Michigan, Tanner, the traditional schools thought, because uh, there's a, a study by Gaynon. And also the American, uh, I think, Board of Prosthodontics, they actually recommend that if you before you give an appliance, screen airway first, which I was so happy to see that. And it's a real uh, positive uh, sort of suggestion made uh, by the American Board of uh, Prosthodontics. What is the next step for a dentist to be able to gain the skills to actually look at the airway? Because this is a, a new field. Other than going back a few episodes and listening to our episode on the airway, which is, which is critical, but what is a checklist that you can recommend? What is a, uh, the, the next learning point so that our dentists can, can open their eyes to actually, before I give my stabilization splint, 
perhaps this patient needs a mandibular advancement to kill four birds with one stone, as we alluded to. So I think the only way you can actually learn about the airway is first thing, and this may seem a moot point, but it's actually quite important, is open your mind. You have to have that paradigm shift in your head that tells you that you're just not just a dentist. You know, you're not there just to fix teeth and gums. You're actually a medical professional. You are, you know, you're dealing with uh, a person's health. Now, a person's health doesn't stop with teeth. It's the whole thing, right? So that's the paradigm shift. Number two, do a lot of reading. Just read. Just read. You know, pick up. A Pick up an article, go onto Google, go onto, you know, any Google Scholar, for example. If it's too much for you, the other, of course, protocol I will always promote is the British Society of Dental Sleep Medicine that has their, you know, sort of foundation course, which gives you a, a, a bit of an insight into what your role should be. Now, from there, the academy picks up, the British Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine will pick it up, and then there will be... You know, I, Aditi, I just want to add for you, tell us more about the academy. Like, If you're in America, you have a, a dental sleep medicine board there. If you're in Australia, you have a society there. Wherever country you're in, you know, if you're interested in this, which I think we should, we all really should be to, to take a, a step back and, and be, you know, connect the, the, the head to the rest of the body and actually become, you know, integrated healthcare professionals, you know, take an interest, even if it's just, you know how every year we have a quota of learning on oral cancer and whatnot. Wouldn't it be amazing if airway was like, you know, do at least an hour every couple of years. It would be really, really important. I think that's, I think that's your mission, Aditi, isn't it? Exactly. That's exactly what I've been working towards for the last 10 years to try and get um, everyone to listen. And actually, I think, you know, they are listening. And yes, you're right. You know, I was talking about the British Society and the British Academy. I, I keep forgetting that we're actually talking to a global audience here. So each one of you, whoever you is listening, will have a you, in your own country will have a board or a society or an academy, you know, whatever they're called, they all do the same job, right? They're raising awareness of the role of dentistry in, in, in sleep, sleep disorders. And I think if you can just get on with them and learn the basics, there are so many online courses available now, but be a little bit more careful about which one you pick because you want to make sure they're not industry-led. These courses that you want to try and do, they should be free of industry bias. And, and what do you mean by that? Just make it tangible to a young dentist is like they're not promoting, they're not aligned with one type of appliance and that's it. You want someone that's going to give you a good data on, okay, this kind of patient might suit this kind of appliance, this kind of exactly. patient might suit that kind of appliance, right? My message has always been one appliance does not fit all. And Correct. you know, now that I'm working with the NHS in this country, trying to get this NHS uh, funding for all appliances, it's been a hard task, but we've done it. We're now going to get uh, funding for NHS, for appliances on the NHS, which has never been well funded so far. But, you know, I think we've won that race now. So for every one of you, if you want to learn how to get involved, just get involved with your local societies. And if you don't have anyone, then find something online and, you know, just learn about it. And, of course, they can always reach out to any one of us, Jazz, for, the, for us to make the connections wherever they are. And, and in the show notes, I'm going to put for, for, the, for the UK, for Australia and US, three, three uh, main listeners of this uh, podcast, uh, your uh, main society to get in touch. So if, again, if you're in Australia, reach out. US, reach out. In UK, please reach out because Aditi's uh, doing so much hard work to, to, you know, she's done so much in terms of 
helping the NHS recognize the role of dentists and, and, and wider medicine and the role of dentistry in sleep disordered breathing, it'd be a real shame not to continue this momentum going with the new generation of dentists who, you know, we fall into a trap of learning Invisalign and uh, composite bonding and stuff. Let's also look at the airway. Yeah, let's 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 be a little bit more holistic. Absolutely. I mean, even for, you've just mentioned Invisalign, right? I mean, I'm not targeting Invisalign because I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. But with any type of orthodontics, when you try and distalize, distalizing dentistry is the worst thing you can do for a patient. You know, try not to distalize. Because the moment you distalize, you're actually limiting that oral space. The moment that oral space is limited, you are blocking that airway. And that is promoting. And I, I, I'll just very quickly give you one example, which I think is very important. So in the last couple of months, I've seen two medical legal cases. And one of them was he has a class three occlusion. His lower jaw was okay, but his maxilla was underdeveloped. About 27-year-old man, very, very bright, extreme. He's a banker. He went off and saw a maxillofacial surgeon. And he said, yeah, yeah, I think we'll just move that um, upper jaw forward and make you look a bit better. And that's all it was. He had no problem, no airway problem, nothing at all. He then came in and he, and he saw me and he said, you know, I can't sleep. I can't breathe at night. I feel terrible. So I said to him, I said... Wait, this is after his surgery? This is after his maxilla being uh, brought forward? Okay. So, well, that is what was going to be done. Uh, that's what he tells me. Now, remember, I'm just still in the midst of all this. So I said, okay, well, what? tell me exactly what happened. So he said, well, he went in to see this maxillofacial surgeon who told him his maxilla was underdeveloped. And then he had put him in touch with an orthodontist that he works with. So they did a little bit of orthodontic work. And again, I'm not sure what he did because I haven't seen the records yet. But apparently what they've done is they didn't bring the maxilla forward. They actually distalized the lower jaw, took a little mm -hmm. bit off, pinned it all together. He's got like six or seven screws and plates on each side. And he's made him an apneic, a severe mm -hmm. apneic. And mm -hmm. now, um, and his bite is all over the place. And, and you know, he... When I treated him, I said to him, I said, look, I'm going to treat you as best as I can. I can't promise the results, but I'll do what I can. However, I had to get him to sign a disclaimer that if when I treat you, if that bite changes somewhat, because I have to be very careful with all the pins and screws, I am not going to be liable because I don't want the orthodontist then to come back and say, you screwed up my bite. So we have to now go ahead and make, keep some very comprehensive you know, clinical records, you know, scans, photographs, ex everything, everything. It's, it's quite a big case. And, and another case, exactly the same thing, distalized all his teeth, took teeth out, an adult, took teeth out, straightened all up with lingual orthodontics. He's now become a sleep apneic. That's also going to go to court. And, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's happening. You see, the thing is up to now, I don't think it was on the actual radar. So nobody was really thinking about it, but it's actually now in the forefront of everyone's minds. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work with the indemnity insurers. In fact, I've started working with them to see how we can make dentists take this seriously. That, you know, distalize if you need to, but be careful about what you're doing. You know, be careful about what you're going to end up with. Because once you've taken those teeth out, there's no putting them back. Mm -hmm. And like someone who may be on the borderline of, you know, an apnea, hypopnea index. And then when you distalize everything, you tip them over the edge. It's, it's a bit like that, I guess. So that's a, a very thought provoking. So thank you for sharing those two examples as because, you know, we, we can relate to examples. We we relate to these kind of information. So that's very good of you. Uh, Aditi, I'll put the links to the Academy also for Australia and US. Thank you so much for, for giving us this tour about Bruxham management in terms of make sure. I guess the main, you know, what we can't do in this episode 
is really go thoroughly into all the different types of plugins and stuff because that wasn't the point. The main message is don't jump straight to the, to the appliance without considering the airway. That's the main thing. And there are a few gems in there in terms of diagnostics and, and communication. So thank you so yeah. much for, for coming on again. And it's been an absolute pleasure as always. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Bye. Well, there we have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. If you head to the show notes, I'll put some links on how you can learn more from Dr. Aditi Desai and the airway program that she's setting up in the UK. And if you're gaining value from these episodes, please share them with a friend and do consider leaving some sort of a review on the App Store or wherever you listen to your podcast. Give me some stars, throw some comments. I love to read them. And so from Team Protrusive, thank you so much once again for listening all the way to the end. And if you're going to answer a few questions and get some CPD as a Protrusive premium member, please do head to their web app, protrusive.app, or on your Android or iOS. Thanks so much, and I'll catch you same time, same place, next week.